but welcome everyone to the eight. This is our last talk of a five-part series tackling the million dollar question as far as what is the meaning of life? What is the meaning of life? I think we need more than five weeks, we need probably 50 weeks on this, but we've condensed it and tried to tackle some of the major themes of, this, of tackling this timeless question as far as what is the meaning of life? Week one, we talked about and I asked you to stress over the question of what drives you? What drives you? What keep, keeps you going? Because inside, we're looking for something more because we are not of this world. We try to fill in that void within us with things, with stuff, with smoking this, drinking that, person this, doing whatever, to try to fill in that void because we're looking for something more. All this reflects the reality that we are spiritual beings and this ain't home. But we have to tackle the question of what drives us. What drives you? Is it connected to heaven being home or is it just about moving up the corporate ladder of just trying to find happiness, trying to find joy in this temporal world? Week two, we talked about our innate divine design is to worship something. Sometimes we worship people, we worship status, we worship influence, we worship cash, we worship something, right? Or we worship a pleasure, you name it. So we're always looking for something to worship because we are spiritual beings. To, give, to worship something is you're giving worth to something else or to someone else. So at our core, we are hungry to worship someone or something, but also at our core, is the icon of God, is the presence of God residing within us. So we are called, what gives us meaning to life is to question what drives us and to connect that to heaven being home. What also drives us is to give worth to the one who holds our life in his hand. And then part three, we talked about the need, how we need each other. Sometimes we live isolated lives, which is an epidemic in America and in the world, obviously, but at our core, we are in need of each other. So this helps us pursue the meaning of life when we are together. And then last week, we talked about the process of sanctification, that if we acknowledge this is home, that we belong to someone and somewhere so much bigger than just this temporal world, then we acknowledge where we are now, that we're weak, we got issues, we got problems, right? Whatever language you want to use, we understand it, the Christian worldview understands it being sin, but it's okay if you can't embrace that right now, but at least we can all agree we don't all have our life all together all the time. So we're here trying to pursue here. So this is a process of sanctification. By the way, that cool video, why I love it so much, is because what's common in all of ancient Christianity, what's common in this pre-denominational expression of Christianity, of orthodoxy, is that we love oil. We love oil. We use oil as a, a vessel for us to find healing. Because when we acknowledge that we're weak and we got problems, the church loves to, or to anoint us with oil. We see it in marriages. We see it in various sacraments. Even when we're sick, even St. James says, when we have something wrong, that we should come to the priests of the church, the elders of the church, in order to be anointed with holy oil for us to find healing. So we see this all throughout world history. But for today, in the year 2015, Time Magazine released a research article that pursued the question of what makes people happy. What makes people happy? They wanted to dive into this question as far as what makes people happy. So they interviewed uh, 70,000 people. They did, they did a, a series of studies between the year 1996 and 2014. They did studies on uh, assessing various aspects of this group of 70,000 people to figure out what makes humanity happy. 
What makes humanity happy? And they came down to a bottom line, and, and maybe you, you, you and I get this, I guess, from life experience. The bottom line that they found out that came from this, from this research, you can look it up yourself. Time Magazine came to the conclusion is that what makes a big part of humanity to be happy is when we give. When we give. In whatever capacity, when we live a life of giving, that it brings an utmost fulfillment. And they showed studies from MRI scans of the brain. And they realized that the, the, the brain is, is firing, the brain is more alive, it's more healthy when someone is already living a life of giving. You and I desire to, to be giving generous people, but there's always a tension within us. Well, I, I got to do me. I got to do what's best for me. And I, I got to block him. I got to block her. I can't do this because I need to do me. Right? So we always have this tension within us, but studies have shown what makes humanity the happiest when we give. Most people get upset with me like when people are like in, a, in a very low point in life, and I tell them, you know what could be very therapeutic? Yes, you, 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 we need the sacraments of the church. Yes, we need connection into the life of the church. Yes, if, you, if therapy is needed. All, all, all these approaches to holistic healing is essential. But one thing I, I try... To, to, to push to people, is to serve, is to serve. Even, well, and they say, oh, this is not a good season for me. Like, I, I got a lot going on. I'm not a good, I'm not at a good place to serve. I'm like, dude, there's never a good time to serve. I've never heard anyone say, you know what? Like, my marriage is good. My mental health is good. I'm ready to give. That's nonsense. That, that day never comes. That day never comes. So, but when I serve and give from brokenness, this is what becomes therapeutic. This is what becomes healing to me. But, you know, most people just tell me, I'll pray about it, and obviously nothing happens. But anyway, that's a different topic for another thing. We understand the benefits of living a giving life. We understand the benefits of having a life of giving, right? You and I have been attracted to other people who live generous lives. I'm not talking about finance. I'm talking about they just give of themselves, right? They have the mental capacity. They have the emotional capacity. They have... The time, right? They, they, when, when you see someone giving, that's, you, you don't remember anything they've, they've said, but you remember how much they gave of themselves to you. Within us, we, get, we are attracted to that virtue when someone gives. And no better example when you look at funerals. When someone said, when they're talking about someone who has departed, what's the thing that's always highlighted in every single funeral is how much that person gave, how much that person gave. We talked about in the liturgy this morning, which is our main service here at St. Mark Church, that, the, the, that St. Paul writes this letter to the city of Corinth and Greece. And, 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 and we kind of talked about it earlier in, in the divine liturgy, that the value of someone's life is determined by how much they give. The value of someone's life is determined by how much they give. We get the tension. Consumerism kicks in. Me, my, my, how people look at me, 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 me. And then the value of when we see someone else giving. We want to give in whatever capacity, but there's always this tension within us. There's a very, very famous uh, president in American history that said, don't ask what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. Anybody know what pre who said that? JFK. Don't ask what, you, what, what your country can do for you. Don't ask what the church can do for you. Ask what you can do for your church. JFK, just, JFK said, country, I'm saying church, right? So it's not, it's not, what's in it for me? It's like, okay, I know my worth. I know my value. I know my gifts. I know who I am, who I belong to. You have been wired from God to give. It's within you. 
It's within us. God doesn't do anything by accident. Regardless of how you might view yourself, that doesn't negate how God views you. That doesn't change of how you are worthy of his love and how much he wants to do something big in you and within you. Everything I've said for the past four minutes um, can also be preached here in this Jewish center by the rabbi, can also be preached by, you know, uh, whatever Hindu and any worldview can say exactly what I've said so far. As far as giving, they can quote Time Magazine. They, they, every, everyone, everyone, I didn't say anything that's specific to the Christian worldview. But what I want us to do is I want to make this more concrete because everything I've said so far is fluff, right? It's, it's nice, Time Magazine, and we give, yes, cute, and it, all that stuff's here. But we need to anchor this into a reality. We need to make this incarnational. We need to make this tangible, something in which we are able to grasp. So in order to grasp this in a real concrete way, don't get lost here. I, don't, I want to talk about these two things. All right, stick with me. Don't check out. Don't take out your phone. It's okay. Stick with me here. So the two words is kenosis and doulos. Kenosis and doulos. Stick with me. Because the, if we embrace these two realities, we're going to find a more fulfilling, enriching life. So stick with me. A missionary uh, who was an ex-terrorist who ended up following Jesus and spread the word of God and of Christ throughout the Mediterranean Rim goes by the name of St. Paul the Apostle. He used to go by Saul, but he, being a follower of Jesus, he became Paul the Apostle, Paul the Apostle. And he talks about openly that I was the top of my class. And, and, and when I was a Jewish man, I knew everything. I knew 600 plus laws. I was the top of my class as a Jewish man. So he, 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 doesn't, he doesn't come with humility, right? He, he just says, I, I was the top, right? Just as everyone else says, I was the top of my class. Like all, all my parents' generation, they say everyone's at the top of their class. St. Paul says the same thing. I was the top of my class. I was number one in my class, right? And he also says, with boldness, he, tells, he, he writes letters to people and he says, imitate me. He comes with boldness and he writes to them and says, you should imitate me. So he says all of this. But how does he begin every letter that he's writing to Jesus' followers in different cities and different countries around the Mediterranean Rim? He begins by labeling himself, the one who described himself as being, I'm the top of my class, I'm very smart, the one who said, imitate me. He also described himself by calling himself a bond servant, a bond servant. Obviously, St. Paul was not writing in English, right? He wasn't writing in English, and he wasn't like, all right, chapter one. He's not doing that. He's not writing in English, and he's not writing chapters and verses. We add the chapters and verses later in history, and he's not writing in English. So the word that we read as being bondservant, does anybody know what the real word in which St. Paul is saying? St. Paul says, me, Paul, I'm writing this. I am a slave to God. He writes himself of being a slave. You and I, we hear the word slavery. We hear slave. There is a negative, distorted, sinful image that comes to our mind. That's the sad reality when we hear the word slavery. But I want us to take a step back. Why did St. Paul describe himself of being a slave? This, by the way, this is... Not the most, if this is, if you're questioning Christianity and, and, and you know, I, I know this might be hard to grasp 
or you're kind of one foot in and you're questioning things. I know this might be hard. I was, I was talking about slavery for a second, but I want you to stick with me for a second. Because if you look at the original translations of all these texts, which, we, uh, which are in scripture, the word slavery, as far as someone describing themselves of being a slave, happens over 130 times. And that Greek word is doulos, as someone being a slave. But again, we have a negative connotation. But if you kind of remove the distorted sinful reality of that has happened in slavery, that happens till today, obviously, and, and uh, unfortunately in different parts of the world, if we, if we remove that, if we take away the essence and we look at the essence of slavery, this is what I want us to focus on. Of why does he call himself of being a slave to God? I want to share with you the words of St. Paul that he wrote to the Philippians. And I, I, I intentionally have it weird like this. Uh, I'll explain it in a little bit. So says this. St. Paul says this. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset of Christ Jesus. He's saying, he, he didn't just go into, in your, with your relationships with one another, love each other, be kind, be generous. No, no, no. No, he wants to make it more concrete. He says, I want your logic. I want your brain to be the brain of Jesus Christ. And then he declares and gives an elaboration of what that looks like. St. Paul says this. He, he describes Jesus Christ. Who being in the very nature of God, Jesus being God, he did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Like Jesus, being fully God, he didn't just set up with, with God in heaven, God his Father, and be like, man, we're the best. No, he didn't use it to his advantage. He didn't leverage his authority to look down upon humanity. Right? These words are echoed in ancient liturgical texts in which we pray till today in the Gregorian liturgy. But moving on. Who being in the very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. And this is the Greek word kenosis. He made himself nothing. If you go deeper into that Greek word, he poured himself out. He made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. He took the servant, he took the form of a slave. He poured himself out, that's kenosis, and he took on the form of a slave being made in the human likeness. He's God in a bond who poured himself out to the point of, of as being a slave for humanity. Who being found in appearance as a man, he, he, he looked like a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, death to the point of a humiliating death to the cross. Why am I not putting my text like in my normal like copy and paste text? Why am I taking a screenshot of this? If you look in the original script in which St. Paul's writing this letter to the Philippians, it's written in this way. It kind of, it's like indented and it's like this. Because historians and scholars have noted that this part, which we just read here, who being in the very nature of God, was a first century creed, was a first century hymn in the church. So it's put in this way because it is a hymn. It is a creed. It was something that was recited in ancient liturgical text in the first century. Maybe it depends on your physical Bible. Uh, obviously, forget uh, your phone. But I'm saying on a physical Bible, sometimes it's indented like this. And, uh, but this is why I'm pulling it up in this way. 
because it shows it was a him in the church. Some scholars say it was a him, some people say it was a creed, but in either case, it was clearly evident that this was a, a common popular text that people were reciting was embedded into the life of the church from the first century because it describes as Jesus being God who poured himself out and took the form of a slave in order to restore humanity to the point of death. This is why we say, I know we, sometimes we say Jesus died on a cross, that's okay. But the, the better, fuller theological understanding is that he gave himself up to death. It's not like he, he accepted death to himself. He accepted to pour himself out to restore humanity. He accepted that to himself. All right. I don't know if there's any uh, biology majors or people in medicine here, so uh, correct me if I said this wrong, uh, right or wrong, I don't know. Um, so in biology, there's this aspect of human cells um, that the cell does something called apoptosis. Anybody know what apoptosis is? I'm gonna put you on the spot. Anybody wanna describe what apoptosis is? Cell death, very good, very good. It's a programmed cell death, somebody said programmed, yeah. So what brings health to the human body? Oh, sorry, Sarah, I saw you there, yeah. Apoptosis, the, 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 the. so what's healthy in the human body is that a human cell has to give up of himself in order for the body to thrive. That the, the human cell, there has to, the, what's a healthy process is for the cell to kenosis, to give up of himself for the sake of the organ, for the body, for the system to thrive. This is, so think about this. If the founder of biology has wired the human body, every living organism, to have apoptosis. This should also exist at our core of who we are as spiritual beings, of being the icon of God. So it's not just a cell thing, it's a human thing. It's not a science thing, it's a God thing, because God is in science. God is science. So if this is true of how a human organism or body or organ to thrive, there has to be the self-death of a cell in order for the, for the organism to thrive. There has to be true, what allows us to thrive, what gives us meaning in life, there has to be the death of my ego. There has to be the death of my lusts. There has to be the death of what's in it for me, that I'm invited and I'm called to give up of myself in order for me to live, in order for me to thrive, in order for humanity to thrive. I have to give up of myself. You know what's the opposite of apoptosis? Is a cancer cell. A cancer cell removes himself from the canonia. The cancer cell removes himself from the communion of other cells. And the cancer cell says, I'm a rebel. I'm going to do my own thing. And that cancer cell thinks he's thriving. And he doesn't, he doesn't die to himself. He doesn't, he doesn't take on apoptosis. And the cancer cell thinks, I, I, I know what I'm doing. And that cancer cell ends up bringing death to the whole system. Isn't that amazing how God wires this in biology? And then we just want to put that in its own little bucket. That's a science thing. And we don't take the same one who wired all of that, the same person, the same God who wired all of that, wired you and me to live life like this. But we kind of put that in its own bucket and dismiss him. Jesus says these words. Whoever desires to be great among you, right? Don't you, you, don't, you don't raise your hand. Everyone wants to be great. So Jesus, if you want to become great, let him be your servant. 
Forget servant, slave. He uses the word slave. You know, by the way, a servant is like someone like, um, I invite a servant to clean my house. I, I, you don't call him a servant, but you know what I mean? It's like they're coming in, clock in, clock out. That's a servant. But a slave, my, my whole life belongs to this person. It's, again, it's not in a degrading, dismissive, belittling a person. I'm not, when I say slavery, I'm not meaning it in, in, in this sinful, distorted way that has happened or is happening. I'm not talking about that. A slavery is, this is my life. I give up of myself. Joyfully and willingly, I give up of myself. This is the, the understanding of slavery in the, health, in the healthy understanding. So for, 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 for Jesus to say, whoever, whoever wants to become great, let him become a slave. And whoever desires to become first, let him take on to give up of himself as a slave for others. By the way, giving up of himself, oh, sorry, <laughs> I spoke it without saying, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, he's talking about himself, he's saying, just as me, me being the Son of Man, I didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. And we echo these words. St. Paul echoes these words when we pray liturgically now when we celebrate the divine liturgy. So Jesus is saying, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. And he, to make it even more detailed, what it means to serve, to be a slave, I'm giving up of myself to the point of death as a ransom for many. Let's press the pause button through all this for a second. Can I just believe in Jesus? Right, right. It's a faith. I, I just believe in Jesus. I was saved. And I believe in Jesus that's it. That's good. Like, to, to get, like maybe if other people want to like serve, you know, God and be a slave to God, all, uh, cool. But I'm, I'm saved by the blood of Jesus and that, I'm just saved. Can I look at my marriage and say I was married and on July 25th, 2010, I was married. I was married. I got married. That's it? No, I live that out. I've accepted to give up of myself, kenosis. I've made myself a slave, not to my spouse. Like, with all respect to Sarah, we're both temporal. It's not about, the, it's not about her. It's not about me. But I'm giving myself to the icon of Christ next to me. Can she annoy me? Get on my, yeah, and do I know her? 100%. But I'm, I'm giving up of myself in this mystery. This is going off tangent for a second. If you look at all the sacraments of the church, all the mysteries of the church, it requires me to give up of myself. For those who came for the main service of the church, which is the divine liturgy, you, I hope you didn't have an omelet and coffee and then you walked in the church. You emptied of yourself biologically. You emptied of yourself physically in order to invite the author of life inside of you. So we come fasting. We empty up ourselves. We come weak in order to put on spiritual strength. So we come physically weak. For those who attend many of, of, of Holy Week services or many of the Orthodox services that are hours upon hours in length, physically we are weak, but we're putting on strength. In the words of St. Paul, when I am weak, this is when I'm strong. So it, it, when I come to participate in the sacrament of confession, I'm weak. The last thing I want to say is for me to say out loud my sins and struggles. That's the last thing I want to do. But I'm pouring myself out with my sickness in order for me to receive the remedy of life in him. But going back. St. Paul says these words. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, 
Not of works. Not, not, it's, it's not because of works that you, you are saved. It's a, it's a grace of God. It's a gift. You have been saved. You have been redeemed. So it's not by your works. Because if it's by your works, you might boast. You might say, yeah, I, I'm saved because, you know, I, I serve third grade. Or, yeah, I have to stick with, you know, elementary kids for an hour every Sunday. So I'm saved because I have to deal with the kids. I'm saved because I give. Or I, I, I give more than 10% of my salary to God and to his church. So I'm saved by my works. So St. Paul's saying, it's not about, it's, you're not saved by works but you're saved purely by faith. Okay, cool. Is there anything wrong with that theologically? No. Is it incomplete? Yes. It's incomplete. There's a fuller holistic understanding. Sometimes we want to dilute and, and, and simplify it that I was saved at this specific moment on this date, and that's about it. Yes, I was saved. I am being saved, and I will continue to be saved. It's ongoing. I was married at that specific time. I am married, and I continue to give of myself, to pour out myself into this mystery. So it's not one specific moment, but it's something I live out. Do you, apply, do you and I apply this to any other relationship? The, yeah, we, yeah, we were friends in, in 2014, yeah. No, you, you continue to live that, you continue to endure, you continue to give up of yourself. So it's not just isolated at this one moment. It's incomplete theology. Now, I want to share with you how we can make this even more practical. Because you, so you can agree, yeah, maybe I should give up myself more. Yeah, there is this selfish tension that, you know, maybe I hold, do hold back. There is this grudge because of the trauma, because of the past, and it's hard for me to give up. Okay, cool. I want us to make, like, the, the, that's the beautiful thing. God said we give up ourselves. Cool. Can we make that even more tangible? God came down. Okay, Jesus lived that out, that he gave himself. He, Jesus said, I didn't come to, to be served, I came to serve. And he said, watch me. Right? And he, showed, he, he laid that out. We can see it in his life. And then here comes St. Paul. He says, let me add more handles to how we can live this out into our life. So St. Paul says this. Oh, well, it's okay. We'll move on. So he says this. So I will very gladly spend for you everything. St. Paul's saying, I will spend everything I have and expend myself as well. I will give everything I have. He's writing to the Corinthians. I will gladly spend for you everything I have and expend myself as well. And then he tells them this in a very vulnerable, weak way. If I love you more, like he's telling the Corinthians this, if I love you more, will you respond back with loving me less or more? My love to you is independent on how you respond to that. But I will spend my life for you. Like St. Paul's being so, quote unquote, weak, so vulnerable, that I will pour out myself to you. But if I do love you more, how you respond to that, if you love me more or less, it doesn't shake me. I'm human. Do I want you to respond back? Yeah. But I'm not called to that ethic. I'm not invited to a transactional ethic to receive back the same that was received back to me. And, and, and you scratch my back, I scratch yours. I, I, I'm not signing up for that definition of love. I'm elevating myself. So even... If I spend myself out to you, I will very gladly spend for you everything I have and expend myself as well. If I love you more, even if you love me less, that doesn't change the bar that I'm striving to live for myself. St. Paul says these words. Let no one seek his own, but each one the other's well-being. 
you, you and I agree on this, right? This seems very elementary. Don't just seek your own, but seek out for the well-being of others. But make this, make, make this concrete, make this more tangible, make this applicable. What does this look like and how you and I manage conflict, right? When we have a conflict with an issue with someone, well, it's because you don't respect me. It's because you never, it, 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 it's, it's you. But be wise, be discerning. Like, don't just seek out your own and you just, right, the other person's talking, but you're just waiting for them to stop talking so that way you can say what you want to say, right? We've been there, done that, right, when, when, when conflicts happen, right? We're not, we're not hearing them out. We just want to say what we want to say. Are we being strategic as far as laying out in a vulnerable way how I feel, but maybe I elevate the person in front of me? Maybe I say, hey, I, I want to talk about something that, that's been really bothering me, or we need to talk something out. Am I being graceful by seeking out the, the well-being of others, or do I come? And uh, I'll call myself out here. I remember uh, maybe 10 years ago or so, Sarah and I were having uh, marriage problems, right? And then um, Father Anthony, my priest, came, and uh, he's like, I remember it was Sunday. So Sarah, I'm the guy, right? Sarah tells, Sarah says, Father, Na uh, Father Anthony, not Father Nate, Father Anthony, you need to come. Uh, we're having problems. So uh, Fa Father Anthony comes over to our house later. I'll never forget. I remember the couch. I remember the apartment. I remember everything. Father Anthony tells me, okay, when you talk, you talk with a sword. You need to put a pillow around the sword when you want to address something that's bothering you. And for those many people in this room, I tell you the exact same thing because I'll never forget that day. And I try to live by that, right? Something's bothering me at home. Like, I don't need to just say it with a sword, right? I just... Speak my mind, well, and, and then I, I, I give myself an excuse. Well, uh, well that, I'm just saying the truth. That, that's on you. you. You can't handle the truth, right? No. I need to be more graceful as far as looking out for the other's well-being. Don't just seek out my own of me just speaking. Well, that's just who I am. I, that's, I just speak my mind. No. How am I worrying about the, uh, the well-being of others? We, you agree at the, we agree on this, but the application of it is where we need to be more strategic, more graceful with wisdom on how to assess this. St. Paul says these words, carry each other's burdens. And in this way, when you carry each other's burdens, this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. So it, it, don't just carry each other's burdens. No, by this you are emulating the icon of God. You are following Jesus, your Savior, when you do carry each other's burdens. St. Paul also says these words, rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. And not to get all psychological here, but this brings up the difference between sympathy and empathy. So sympathy is like, I, 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 like I, I, I'm sorry that you feel this way. You feel bad for someone. Like someone's opening up, I feel bad. Empathy is that you're understanding with them at a deeper level, is the ability to understand someone and relate to how they're feeling. So St. Paul's inviting us not just to, when someone, you know, yeah, like things are not going well at home or my kids or yeah, my, my job and my boss, Oh, um, I'm, I'm sorry. You know, I'll pray for you. All right, take care. I'll see you next week. No, it, maybe that's some sympathy. But St. Paul's inviting us to further. By the way, this is why we make a big deal of us being connected as a church. We're not coming here just to, to take communion. We need to be connected to each other in life group, in ladies. Come to the, the women's group this Thursday. We need connection. Don't wait for a crisis to happen. Don't wait for hell to, un, to, to unleash itself in your life. And then you look back and be like, I, uh, no, one, no one called me, no one checked on me. Make those investments now. Take preventative steps instead of waiting for interventional steps. We need each other. We need each other. So we need to rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. We talked about this verse, all right. I want to leave you with three things that can help us 
live a life of kenosis, of giving of ourselves, of how we can live a life of slavery, of how we can give our life of slavery. Again, I understand if this is unattractive and it takes time to process this word. But more important than the word, I want us to understand the theology behind it, for us to understand the spirituality behind it. So I totally get it if you're hesitant of understanding slavery in the essence and, 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 and theologically. I get it. But you and I are invited to give up of ourselves, not in a clock in, clock out, not in a what's in it for me, I've done my part, now it's on him, now it's on her. We're invited to a such a higher calling. Ask yourself the question, what breaks your heart? God has planted that seed for you specifically, what breaks your heart? And that thing that breaks your heart, I promise you it's not by coincidence. It could be because of different things in your own life experience that God has permitted to happen. But the thing that breaks your heart, God has planted that seed within you in order for you to respond to it and to give of up of yourself at that capacity, for that purpose, for that mission. What breaks your heart? Another aspect is service of your time. Not give of your time. Because you don't own your time. To give, to, uh, if I'm, like I'm, uh, I, I bought this on Amazon, right? If I'm giving you this clicker, I'm basically saying I, it's mine and I'm giving it to you. No. It, it, so the time that you and I have, it's not ours. You and I don't have time. I, I, I know that can be interpreted many different ways. We don't own time. Like you, we're here temporarily. You and I can't control when you, when you drive out, you can't control what happens to that person driving on the other side of the yellow line. You don't control time. It's out of our capacity. But when I intentionally make a decision to serve of my time, I mean, I'm wanting to highlight this out of anything else. Because if I ask you, I need 10 bucks, you give me 10 bucks. If I say I need, uh, whatever, I need you to pick up my, my daughter from school, maybe you'll do that tomorrow, right? But to, to give of your time, we, we value that so much. Right? We live off Google Calendar, and I, I, can't, I can hang out with you. I got, I got 14 minutes uh, to have coffee with you this day. I'll give it, right? So the whole idea of serving of my time sometimes pushes us to an uncomfortable level as far as giving to the point of slavery that I'm giving up of myself. My last thing. Be proactive as opposed to reactive as far as giving. You intentionally decide. Like, I remember my, my spiritual father used to tell me when it, when it came to giving financially, he's like, you know, you make a decision regardless of your career as a dentist or as a priest. You pre-decide that you're giving and do percentage giving. It's independent of circumstances. You pre-decide how you're going to give. It's independent of career. It's independent of, of I'm giving of, of myself. You pre-decide, not, well, once I get, you know, uh, promoted, once this gets on, once the kids or whatever. No, it's not circumstantial. It's being proactive as opposed to being reactive, right? Because this is a busy season, right? Be honest. This is a busy season for you. It's a busy season for you. Busy season for you. Busy season. It's a busy season. Busy season. It's a very busy season. Everything will, after Christmas, after Thanksgiving, it's, it won't be a busy season. It's a busy season right now. It's busy. I know. I know. But it, it, there's always going to be a busy season. So don't be reactive, but be proactive. You decide from now, how are you going to give? And when I say give, I'm saying it in the lens of how Jesus gave. Kenosis, he poured himself out as a slave. And you and I are invited to that. 
the words that you and I want to hear when all this is said and done. Well done. Well done, good and faithful. You want, you want to know what the, the, the real Greek is? Well done, good and faithful slave. You have poured your life and you have been faithful with little and I will make you ruler over much. Well done. You didn't live for yourself. You poured out yourself as an offering to those around you and you pushed back the, the tension within you as far as what's in it for me. You suppressed that and you gave up of yourself. Well done. What I want us to do I want us, us to sing, to, per, to stand and to sing and pray this beautiful song. And it's okay if you don't know it. But after a few slides, I think you'll be able to catch on. But I want us to pray these words. They're beautiful words. It's a beautiful song. So we can close today and close this series out with these words. Let's stand together. my soul into your hands, my Lord Jesus Christ. Lead me, because I depend on you. Lead me and I'll serve you. Please be my guide in every way. Be my guard, I won't go astray. Sanctify my heart and my needs until I see you, Lord, as you have always said. All sorts of all goodness, as you have always said. All sorts of all goodness. Come unto me, all you weary. Come unto me, and you'll find rest. Come unto me, I am the way. I am the truth and life. When my life gets filled with worries and darkness overwhelms, the clouds will be dispersed away by you, O Prince of Peace. You are my shield, you are my home, you are my strength, you are my goal. You are the perfect love, O Lord, of whom then shall I fear? You are my shepherd, all on one, lead me to still waters. Restore my soul, I'm calling you, lead me to righteousness. Though I walk through the death valley, with you I will fear no evil. You are my comfort, staff, and rod all the days of my life. 
Come take your cross and follow me. Fear not, I am with thee. Cheer up, overcome the world. Your tears I'll wipe away. I showed you my love on the cross. And if you're faithful unto death, I will give you eternal life. Come now and follow me. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Our Heavenly Father, we place our souls into your hands, and we hear your invitation for us to follow you. We seek to fill in the voids, the pains, the hardships of this world by so many things of this temporal world, but it is only through you we can find life. It is only through you we can find peace, which surpasses all understanding. You have given us a new definition of giving up of ourselves. You have given us a new definition of enslaving ourselves to your love. We willfully, we freely, with our own liberal freedom, we give you up of ourselves unto you because we do not belong to ourselves. Our time is not of our own. Our gifts are not of our own. Our life is not of our, of our own. But all of this belongs to you. This is where we can find the meaning of life. Lord, we pray that the series is not just words. We pray that our discussions in Life Group are not just nice discussions, but it's something that leads to a life change. It leads to a transformation. It, it helps us embrace your unconditional love for us and for us to live and give up of ourselves for you. Through the prayers of all your saints, Lord, hear us as we pray. Thankfully, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Thank you, everybody. Have a great week.